Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where we put the epic in epic fantasy. I'm Susan. I'm Jeanette. I'm Tara. And how are you guys? I'm good. Yeah. I'm really good. That is good to hear. Yeah. I've been on a reading kick, too, since the wedding. Like, just... I've gone through like five books in the last month. So jealous. In a couple of weeks. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah, well, I've barely read all year. You're making so up for up lost time. time. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. Exactly. I'm jealous, jealous. My goodness. It's like my book bingo sprint. All over again. <laughs> That's great, though. I'm glad you got to get a chance to catch up. So, how you doing, Jeanette? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm actually kind of slowing down. I was going through, like, tons and tons of books last week, but now this is my first week off, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go through my book really, really slowly. Well, you've already hit yeah, 50 I was books gonna this say. year. 51, like, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. 51 books, so many books, you had to increase your challenge mm-hmm. on Goodreads. Yeah, that's... To 100. Spectacular. That's insane. I'm really actually very <laughs> excited about that. I've been wanting the past couple of years to try to do 100 books in a year. And with grad school, I was like, that's never happening. So this year, no grad school, no summer classes, no summer work. So, hey, why not try and knock out 50 more books? Seems, you know. Seems like a good time to do that. Yeah, why not? Isn't that what normal people do with their summers? I don't know. Yes, i i just yes you're a teacher you have time you can read all the books i just can't imagine i mean i love reading but i can't imagine reading a hundred books in a year yeah and like live like and and do anything else i think and i know you're busy i I see what you do on facebook i know what you're doing (laughs) i don't know how you have the time yeah i read also in really weird places and this is like reader's confession time but i read i read while i'm blow drying my hair i read while i'm getting (laughs) dressed in the morning yesterday i kid you not i was reading while i was folding laundry i mean i read at really weird times so you know it's easy to get you know through a 300 page book when you're reading like 15 pages while you're blow drying your hair so that's how do you, do you like, <laughs> never mind, just record. You, you should do a YouTube video just about this. Like, where are the weird places where Jeanette reads. that you read and how do you do that? No, I would watch that. I'm not kidding. You should oh my do gosh, it. it's just like people watching um, other people play video games. Why not exactly. have other people no. watch you read? That's not creepy or stalkery at all. No. No, think about it. It could be one of those BuzzFeed presents, sort of like make it funny. <laughs> Like, these are all the weird places I read. Like, I, I think it'd be hysterical. Oh, that's I, Like I said, I read in weird places. I read, like, and here's, like, the nerdy thing. Like, most of the time when I go to the library, I know what I'm picking up because that's the only way I can go into the library or I pick up everything. Yeah. And so when I'm walking out of the library, I've usually got a book in hand that I'm so excited to read that I start reading it on the way from the library door to the car or on the walk home because I can walk to my library on the walk home. So I'm like walking across parking lots with like this book in my hand reading. <laughs> That's pretty so, awesome. Yeah, I, I read in some weird and maybe unsafe places. Um, <laughs> unsafe. Well, it's a parking uh, lot. Yeah. 
Oh, true. Um, Ta- talking about reading, uh, well, really, when are we not? Yeah, right. About reading, but <laughs> what is everyone reading right now? Uh, well, I'm reading The Rosie Effect by Grim Simpson. Oh, the sequel to The Rosie yes, Project? Yes, the sequel to The Rosie Project. How is that? Not as good as the first. Oh, um, disappointing. Rosie's really frustrating. Do um, you guys know kind of what the, this one is about? I don't. Um, I think I remember reading like a blurb like they're not in Australia anymore, right? No, they moved to New York and uh, Rosie find out she's pregnant. So it's, Ooh. yeah, it's basically them handling her pregnancy. And so far it's not so good and it's really frustrating. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. disappointing. Yeah, I'm only halfway through. Um, I had to put it down so I can tackle Kushiel's start. So <laughs> I had to, fair. I like I like the phrasing on that. Tackle. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's actually very. You know, I had to kind of tackle it, but um, I'm picking it back up. So hopefully it'll get a little better. But it's just Rosie's just really frustrating, and Don is fine. He's acting normally, but for Don, yeah, for Don. Um, I was gonna say how normal is normal. Uh, yeah, normal for Don. Um, it's Rosie that's really been the big problem. So we'll see how it turns out. Mm. That's such a bummer. Yeah. What about you, Nat? I am reading White Teeth by Zadie Smith. It's a book I've been like dying to read for years and years now. Um, it's about these two men. They're friends from World War One, and they get married. At, and the and we flash forward like 30 years to when they've gotten married and they've had their children. And it's the story of them and their children and these people of different cultures living in England. And okay, yeah, it's really interesting. If you've read The Casual Vacancy by J.K. Rowling, right. um, it kind of... It's similar? It reminds me of that in like the feel... Socioeconomic, yeah. ...of it, like, you know, different families in London trying to kind of deal with each other and their discomfort with each other. Um, so are the main characters white? Are they, what, what are the, who the are the two, main characters? Well, it kind of shifts in each section of the book. The first section is about Archie and he's white, but his wife is Jamaican. Okay. And then the second section is about his best friend, Samad, who is... Uh, from Bangladesh, and so is his wife. And then the third section is about Archie's daughter, who is, of course, half white, half Jamaican, and she's 15 years old, and she's kind of dealing with life as, you know, a mixed-race child in London, and her father and her father's best friend still, like, live half in the past with half in the war glory days. Right. Her mother is, like, trying to be comforting and understanding, but, you know, she's 15. They don't get her. Um, so it's, I mean, it's really, really good. It's, the writing is excellent. That's what reminds me of J.K. Rowling. Um, the wit is a little bit more subtle than J.K. Rowling. Um, but there are parts that literally make me laugh out loud, and that's actually why I've been wanting to read it so long. I picked it up in a bookstore um, many, many years ago, and I read the first chapter, and it cracked me up. And it's a chapter about Archie, you know, 
trying to decide whether or not he wants to kill himself. So you wouldn't think that's very funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Depressing. But there were like wit, there's just a lot of really subtle and sly wit in there, and you're like, this shouldn't be funny, but it kind of is. And so it kind of makes me laugh aloud at places. Like just this morning, um, I was reading it before we started here, and I was like giggling. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a cool book. Well, let let us know how it goes. I will. Uh, I'm reading The Darkest Part of the Forest by Holly Black. Um, I've literally only read the first page. The first <laughs> page has beautiful language. What I like about Holly Black a lot is that, um, and I feel bad because what I love about her is also why I don't read enough of her, probably, is she has wonderful fantasy standalones. Mm. But because they're standalones, I don't feel this... Um, rushing need to pick up the book so that I can get through the series. So I'm always like, yeah, no, I'll get to it. Yeah, no, I'll get to it. Yeah, no, I'll get to it. So I'm finally, I'm finally picking this one up. Um, but it, it's, the language is really gorgeous so far. Um, I'll let you know how, how it goes. <laughs> is the cover pretty? Oh, it's gorgeous. That's what I love about Holly Black books is the writing is good and the covers are so pretty. <laughs> That's what attracted me to my to first judge. Holly Black book. You're not supposed to judge the book by the cover, Nat. I didn't judge the book by the cover. It was really pretty. It attracted my attention. And then I read the back cover, and it was good. <laughs> well, good job, yep. marketing people Co- out Cover there. really good does job. matter, so I, unfortunately. I hate yep. saying that. It does. It does. Um, well, one last thing. I know we have a we have spent some time creating our top five fantasy book list. Uh, for summer Yay. reading summer's coming up and everybody has a list book riot has a list my grandmother has a list <laughs> literally everybody um and we created a list yay um of our top five fantasy series so none of these are standalones yes. sorry it will take Holly. you the whole summer to read them <laughs> to, mm-hmm. well it depends and, how quickly you go and if you're reading across a parking lot <laughs> number five on our list is the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman. So, yeah, yes, 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 it's a graphic novel. And if you've never read it before, you should read it now. Um, they're very in-depth graphic novels. They have a ton of writing on every single page. And the art, and the art is just gorgeous. Everyone here has read Sandman, yes. right? Yes. Oh, yes. I just read it, actually, I would say maybe last year or the year before I finally finished it. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I was like, why didn't I not pick this up sooner? And it, there's nine graphic, there's nine uh, uh, graphic novels to the series. And the eighth one kills you. The eighth one literally puts a dagger into your heart. Um, I think they expanded it, didn't they? N- there's definitely like prequels now. And then there's the Death, Death mm, Has yes. Her Own yep. series. Um but like the core of the Sandman series is is nine. Yeah, yeah. I read it a f- right. I, I feel like that's right. <laughs> I read it a few years ago, um, and so it's not quite fresh in my memory. But I still know that like I love it. Like it still resonates with me. Like yeah. really good. I've reread it twice, and the last time was about a year mm-hmm. and a half ago. Uh, they're really, it, it's really powerful. People say that now, you know, it was written a while mm-hmm. ago, but people say like now there's like some problematic issues with certain 
um, characters, but really at the time it was groundbreaking just to have those types of characters in there. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I love to this day, I love the endless. I love the idea of Sandman and the endless and that there are these seven, um, endless concepts of the universe and that they can take on any sort of Mm -hmm. form and and the story behind them and who they are and what that means to the universe. And it's very, you know, there's these smaller plot lines going on that are very human, but at the same time, there's this larger plot line about what these concepts mean to the inhabitants of our existence. And it's, it's really a powerful story. All right, number four, Marion Zimmer Bradley's The Mist of Avalon series. So we actually read this one for a book club. Yeah, a, cu- a couple yes. of years ago, I want to say. Yeah, I think two or three years yeah. ago we read that. It was our mm-hmm. rin- winter read. Yes, that was a winter read. We always do these big books in the winter. <laughs> Except Crucial Start was spring. in summer. <laughs> spring. Yeah, we do some in Ish. spring and summer, too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what did you all love about Mist of Avalon? It was definitely different than uh, the legend you usually hear. Um, and the characters, the female characters are very strong, no matter what side you're on. Um, really complex characters, yeah. too. Great, bad mm-hmm. great bad guys, great good yeah. guys. Yeah. And sometimes you don't, the good, the bad guys were once good, or they mean to be good, but they're, you know, it's not an easily... You know, the, there's no really clear moral draw no. in the sand. And a lot of times, Arthur's the idiot. Yes. Like, a lot of the time. <laughs> yes, that's so true. <laughs> I got frustrated with him a lot while I was reading that. <laughs> yeah. But there's... But I also... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, but the, the characters, I mean, they're... You know, sometimes they're idiots, sometimes they're not, but they're so well-written. Like, they're so real. Like you really feel for them. Like the bad guys, you really like get mad at them. The good guys, you really support them and you do get mad at them when they're idiots. Yeah. Yeah. I do think this definitely falls into an epic fantasy series. It's a beast of a book to tackle. The magic system and faith system in the book is really complicated, but in a beautiful way. And I actually think Marion Zimmer Bradley does an amazing job of taking us through that journey of understanding that system because coming into it, most of the people we're dealing with are kids. So they don't understand it completely yet either. Um, yeah, I, I really, yeah, I, I love this female forward, female positive view of the Grail quest in these books. Number three, which I think some people are going to be like, how is this not your number one? How? How? Uh, the Harry Potter series. Yay! I'm, I'm reading it now, actually. I'm on, I'm on Deathly Hallows. <laughs> By reading, yes. you mean rereading. Because I've read the entire series with you before. Yes, no, I'm listening to the audiobook <laughs> okay, right now. Good. So, the lovely voice oh. of Jim Dale. I was going to say, yeah. which one? Yeah. The Jim Dale one this time. Oh, man. I love the Harry Potter series. Talking about the Harry Potter series, JK just announced that there's going to be that the, the dates for the play that's coming out. Harry Potter and the yes, Cursed Boy. I've heard yes. that. But it Cursed is Child. not a prequel. She has made that very clear on Wait, her Twitter. It is, 
It's no longer a prequel? I thought it was going to be... Really? It's it's never been intended to be a prequel. It's about his parents, but it's not intended as a prequel. Oh my gosh. Interesting. And the music is by Imogen Heap, who is like maybe... Which is perfect. If you think about how the sound of the movies are like do 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 it like it's so her style and i love her um who's going to london with me i guess is really my question because i'm going to london to see this that's good <laughs> oh my gosh i uh, i would die to go see it Let, let's take an er trip guys i'm 100 serious for our seventh anniversary <laughs> just hop over yeah that would be a why not seven. <laughs> Okay. Oh my it's, god, number see? seven, seven books. Oh, that is exactly. kind of cool. Seven years of Hogwarts. <laughs> I thank you. No Susan, problem. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, number two, uh, the Xanth series by Piers Anthony, which starts with a book called A Spell for Chameleon. Uh, Susan, I think you introduced I me think, to these books. I or, think so. Or No, mm, I think I read Maybe them Christina introduced them to you because I know she was also a fan or... Is it the other way? And I introduced okay. Christina. Yeah, okay. the other way around. I think I read them. I read them yeah. so long ago, but I remember seeing them in college on your bookshelf. Like, <laughs> Zan, yes, yes, Zan. no. And honestly, I think Xanth is one of the perfect summer reads because it's just light and fun. You know, it's. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Kinda and like Miss of Avalon and Sandman so is puns. wonderful, but they are denser. Um, you know, they do like help mm. you think and think about all, you know, morals and things like that. But like Xanth, Xanth is just fun. And like you said, pun, it is punny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some good sure. moral, like things you get out of each novel, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. in a fun, epic yep. adventure, almost like mm-hmm. D&D sort of a way where you're just like, yes, let's go slay the dragon. And then you find out the dragon's really like an orange cream puff or something but like it's hysterical nope. and fun and I love it love it so much <laughs> none of those things like so confession there are no time, dragons who are I've oh, no. never read Sand <gasps> and it's yes. been, oh yeah. my and a spell for chameleon has been sitting on my shelf for literally years so didn't I buy you that book <laughs> uh, no actually I bought it at the uh, local bookstore support your local businesses people um, I bought it at the used bookstore down the street Okay, well, oh, read yeah. it. And I saw it there, and I was like, hey, a lot of people have been talking about this book. I should read it. And I picked it up, and I forgot to read it. Um, so, Oh, it's sorry. so fun. You can read this book in a day. But now you guys are making me really excited. <laughs> this, You're making me really yeah, excited. I, mean, I should do that. You should. It's really, yeah. It, there is, I think, and this is the only caveat I'm going to say about Xanth, is there is a certain age limit where I think some people may not enjoy it as much as if you had read it when you were younger. True. But if you go into it knowing that it's just just a really fun, light, punny, humorous fantasy read, I think I think you're gonna enjoy it. Think of it like a precursor to um Guide to the Galaxy. You know, it's it it's really sort of in that realm, but even lighter to a certain extent. Or the fantasy version, one or the other. Well, that's really good. I'm really excited to read it now, so I will put that on my summer yes. reading list. Worth it, <laughs> Jeanette. Do you want to announce the number one? Oh Yay. yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> number one is one of my favorite series of all time, 
The Chronicles of Narnia. Yay! Of course. And this is another one which, you know, you get something out of... I feel you get something different out of it when you read it as a child than you do as an adult. But I don't think that changes the enjoyment factor. At least it hasn't for me. I, I, I love The Chronicles of Narnia. I do think the later books are problematic. Um, but I, I enjoy the world so much. And you'll notice we didn't put Tolkien in here. Sorry. Sorry, Lord of the Ring fans. And specifically, sorry to Megan. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's going to be so upset. Um, one of our original ER members. Um, but at least a lot of what I love about Tolkien is also here in the Narnia books, just in a way that's more palatable, I think, to the general audience. Like, I can, I have read Lord of the Rings twice, so I'll probably never read it again. Not that it's not brilliant and great and wonderful, it's just It's hard to read over and over. That's the thing is, I I think it's well-written, I think it's a great world, I love the world, I just can't go back to it over and over again, the same way I can with Narnia. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I think that's what why we chose these top five, too. Is these are all things we would yes. reread. Yeah. These are all books we would go back to, reread, enjoy, for its own, you know, complicated world, where... You know, some of the others, we and we have a nice honorable mention list. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so There's a lot say, of the honorable the, the mention list. The just titles long honorable mention list. <laughs> yeah, I know, we, I know. Just it t- was hard. Check out our Goodreads pages. You'll see our uh, <laughs> honorable mentions list. Um, but I will say this about Narnia. If, you know, you're going back, you're revisiting it. I would suggest trying the audiobooks because they are read by um, some very famous actors like we did uh, The Magician's Nephew last year for um, The Eclectic Readers. And the audiobook for that one is read by, oh, what's his name? Um, Kenneth yes. Brenna. And I mean, listening to him do 500 different animals' voices is the best thing ever. Yeah, you told me. It just really you know, is. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Oh, I can- love Kenneth. Mm-hmm. He's crazy. He can do amazing things with his voice. I, I may have to. And Michael York does the second one. I can't remember who does the third one. Uh, I haven't picked that one up yet. Doesn't Patrick library, Stewart but, do a book? Uh, Patrick yeah. Stewart does one. I mean, there's just some really incredible actors that I can't wait to hear read these parts. But Kenneth Branagh doing all the voices. Um Michael York doing all the voices. I, you should hear them do the White Witch's voice. It's You can just see her. It's incredible. Yes, I am planning so, on doing that. I would suggest visiting. I would suggest visiting audiobooks. I, I plan on doing that once you told me Kenneth Branagh was uh, narrating. I was like, oh my God, I, I have to pick this up. And then I saw Patrick Stewart. And then I saw the other actors. I'm like, now I have to listen to the whole thing. Oh, which one did oh, Patrick gosh, I don't remember. Do? I can't remember. I, I looked them all up because I was just so excited when I saw Kenneth Brown. I was like, oh, did he do all of them? And then I looked up another one and I was like, oh, no, that's Michael York. And then I looked up another one. I was like, oh, that's Patrick Stewart. So I don't remember, but <laughs> it's not one of the first two. So, okay. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I think that brings us to our main read, guys. You ready? Yes. 
as Susan's... Hold on, hold on. I'm stealing myself. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. <laughs> so our main read this time was Cushiel's Dart, which, if you haven't read, is a 901-page... I don't know. It, it's it's an epic. It really does fall under epic fantasy. Um, and I'm going to give a quick summary. I know I'm leaving stuff out, guys. But it's a 901-page book. I had to summarize somehow. So, mm. bear with me. All right. So we're in an alternate version of France called Terre d'Ange. And Phaedra is the daughter of a courtesan who gives her up for adoption due to her unlucky name and the red mark in her eye, which is also known as Cushiel's Dart. Phaedra trains to be a courtesan until she comes under the tutelage of Delani, who then has her trained to be a courtesan and a spy. When tragedy befalls her mentor, Phaedra embarks on this journey to continue his mission to protect the throne, as well as protect her homeland from the plot schemed up by the manipulative and yet irresistibly magnetic Melisande. She is accompanied on this journey, which includes kidnapping, subterfuge, and many, many sexual encounters. I mean, she is a courtesan, guys. But her loyal and chaste bodyguard, Jocelyn, and she is assisted by her childhood friend, Hyacinth. So, what is one thing out of all these many, many adventures that stood out to you guys in this book? That the main protagonists, the main antagonists are two extremely powerful women and that they're extremely amazing whole characters. They're really very, I, I love both of them. In their, and love to hate Melisande, obviously, but love, love Fedra and uh, the way that her strength is really shown in these books. What about you, Susan? Um, yeah, I was also thinking the strong female characters, but also the, the vastness of her world. Um, while I was reading, even at the beginning, you could just see that the author put so much thought and so much um, detail into the world of Terdange and everything, everything around it, it's kind of overwhelmed, you know? It's like, I'm, I'm getting lost just trying to figure out where I am. <laughs> so that was, that was one thing that stood out to me. Because you can tell that she put a lot of time into creating this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is such a rich book. I mean... The world is so well built. There's so much detail. The characters really stood out to me. I mean, I think we have mentioned that this book kind of gets a slow start um, because she has to do so much world building. And she's got all these many, many different characters and political intrigues that she's got to set up. And she does it and it's kind of hard to get through at first but the one thing that I never found difficult was her characterization I really wanted to read more about the characters and that was part of what made me so frustrated with all that build up because I was like I I want more of Phaedra, I want more Delani yeah, the first 300 pages were terrible for me to get through, I mean it was just I mean, if you look back at my uh, Goodreads 
sort of tracking on this book. It's, I don't know if I can do this. Do I just hate epic fantasies now? Like, is this a me thing? Like, <laughs> I kept being like, why can I not get through these 300 pages? And then as soon as the twist comes with Delaney's death, I was like, never mind. I'm in. Let's go. This whole thing is just, I mean, I've read the entire series now. No so spoilers. I'm going to do my best to keep the no spoiler free. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm here. sorry. I haven't started I, I will, it yet. I, I, I will not. I will do my absolute <laughs> best to not spoil anything. It's been a while since I finished the entire series. So if I accidentally mess up, I'm so sorry. But I will do my absolute best. Um, it's so good. And the series itself is really good. Um, it really does leave you. The whole thing leaves you in a very, like, good place. Um, but the... I actually want to take back my character statement. I mean, I love the characters, but y'all are touching on it. The religion. I think how well she she really understands, and she doesn't give it to us all in the first book, and I'll, I'll give you that. But, like, the religion around Terdange and sort of how this world has deviated from our world, I find infinitely interesting. So I really, really love that about the book. There is a lot to love about this book. But since we all said that we really love the characters and especially our protagonist and antagonist, let's talk about that relationship between Phaedra and Melisande because it's love, but it's hate. And they're just two sides of the same coin. And we had a lot of discussion uh, the other day about whether or not this was realistic and, you know, how could this possibly work? So what did you guys think about that relationship? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so epic. It's so epic. It's everything, right? It's love. It's lust. It's destiny. It's complicated by their own personal leanings. It's complicated by their own personal loyalties, but yet they can't see no matter how much they know, both of them, how much they know they should just stop wanting each other, stop loving each other to a certain extent. Um, they can't, they can't. Melisande should have killed Fedra. <laughs> should just, it, she's trying to get the throne. That's our you protagonist know, a, you're murdering. Yeah, yeah. this is our complicated, absolutely, but this is a complicated <laughs> plot. Absolutely, Melisande's intelligent. She knows. She even says it. She, uh, uh, well, you know, she knows. This, she should kill her. You know, and to leave her Jocelyn, that's just, that is definitely like, I, uh, you know, I want to make sure that this girl doesn't absolutely get murdered by these people. I want to do what I can. She doesn't think they're going to make it back. But she leaves herself that door because she just can't let Fedra go. And Fedra, at the same time, you know, she sees them at that at the uh, camp. Fedra sees Melisande at the camp, and she's about to, I don't know, yell her name, completely lose it, even though she knows that they're on this like serious mission by the throne to make it to Alba, and she's about to give it all away just because she sees her in the distance. I mean, it's so complicated and it has so much to do with whom whom Fedra is, not by choice. No, whom Fedra is by birth, being Kushil's chosen, and whom 
Melisande is by being Kushil's scion, how naturally and easily they connect. And it, it, it's interesting, you know, what could have been had she not been picked up by Delani? What would, what would be legitimately different in their lives? But it's, you know, it's definitely not the love they choose, but it's still this extremely grand, epic love, which I think is interesting. So do you think they would not have been so drawn together had they not both been of Kushiel's line? Kushiel, for our listeners, being an angel that, uh, mm-hmm. an angel god, yeah, that um, they worship in this world. So. Um, I, I think that's one of the underlying themes that go through the book is destiny. Like, this is who we are, and because we are of the similar line, we are, of course, drawn to each other. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, she does. I she she definitely it. does. She, and Melisande completely it, but... takes advantage of it. You know. Um. Yes. No. But she to does take advantage though. of it. Um. True. And. And because Melisande is so much more aware, she has more experience than Fedra. That you know, Melisande was able to manipulate. Fedra in that way because it's like oh there's this thing that we both know we can't get away from because mm-hmm. there's this magnetic pull you know yeah I mean absolutely if they both if like Melisande wasn't Kushil Sion Fedra wouldn't react to her as much if, Kush- if Fedra wasn't didn't have the dart Melisande wouldn't want her so much so yeah it's it, absolutely you know this idea of you know, to them, gods are very real. To us now, God is real to some people, not as real to other people. You know, there's no active, there's, you know, there's no burning bush, right? But for them, Eloah's compa- Eloah and Eloah's companions are, are very tactile, almost. They are descendants of these people. They can trace their lineage. Um, and that's a huge difference to them on how they view destiny and how they relate to the divine. I think I mean I see the relationship between Fedra and Melisande. It's I mean, there's definitely destiny there and there's an underlying, you know, we were kind of meant to come up against each other in some way, whether it's you know as opposition or as lovers. But there's also a certain amount of obsession there. And that's what I found real about it is because who hasn't been in Mm -hmm. like a bad relationship of some kind where you like can't stop thinking about that. Yeah. And it's for both of them. That's the funny thing. Yeah. Like they definitely know they shouldn't be doing this. Like, like like after it all, once it all starts going down, they know this is, this is a bad call. I should not be indulging this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Melisande says, can. you know, I should kill you, but I just can't kill something like you. And Phaedra's like, I um, should stay away from you, but you know what? You asked to see me, so I'm just going to go. Yeah, that, that last moment they have in the keep is really so powerful. And what, I, you know, this is, and this was makes this book so, like, what other book can you think where this conversation would be having about two female characters? And like Melisande's not an awful 
her her idea of what's you know what ruling's going to be is not awful. She asked Pedro, "Would I be so terrible? You know, would I be a bad ruler? Would would my rule have been any worse?" And she's like, "No." You know, it's not like Melisande's a typical super villain. You know, where she legitimately wants to enslave people or hates things. She just thinks my way's better. Eh. <laughs> yeah, I can do it better. Yeah, but. You know, I just, I would not put the greater good of a kingdom in Melisande's hands. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) I I, I can get behind that. (laughs) But, um, we are talking a lot about, like, Phaedra being Kushiel's dart and destiny versus choice and everything. Um... So, do you think that the, that, which one came out on top to you guys? Destiny or choice? Do you think that the characters were who they were because they were destined, because they were lined up to be these characters? Or do you think they made choices along the way? Oh, choices. I mean, I, I talk a lot about, or I've talked a lot about Melisande and Fedra being destined in a certain way, but... Ultimately, she chooses to be a spy. She chooses to be a hero. She, you know, she was destined to be a courtesan. She, no one told her she had to go off and save the, the world. You know, she chooses to be a hero. She chooses to have this friendship with Hyacinth. She chooses to fall in love with Jocelyn. You know, these are all choices that she makes that are beyond her nature. I mean, her love for Jocelyn alone is, is so anti- her nature. Um, so no, I, I think ultimately this book, yes, there's destiny. Yes. There's things you can't control, but ultimately you choose. Yeah. I think I agree with Tara, um, that it's more choice than destiny because there are things like with what happened with Hyacinth that was destined. Yeah. But he did ultimately make that choice (gasps) when he helped Fedra. You know, so it was prophesized, but yeah. it didn't really have to go into fruition. You know, Hyacinth could most definitely not help Fedra, and he would have been happy with his clan. Yeah, I mean, several times Hyacinth could have stayed at Night's Doorstep, Hyacinth could have stayed with right. um, his clan. Um, Hyacinth could have... Hyacinth didn't have mm-hmm. to take Fedra's place. You know? Just like Jocelyn. Jocelyn didn't have to keep his vow. Jocelyn didn't have to break his vow either several times to get her out of there. Um, everybody makes these choices. And I think that... I actually think given how powerful and how much... This book is around destiny and uh, the destiny of Kushiel's dart and how much that theme resonates. Choice is more important. And I think that's a really great message that she, you know, brings out that, you know, yes, the, this is the hand you were dealt. Yes, these are the cards you can play, but you choose when to play them and which ones to play. And I think that's really, really important. 
So destiny places you where you are, but you choose what to do when you get there. Yeah. And it and you and you choose if you can go beyond the destiny. Being a spy isn't naturally a part of Fitra's destiny. She chose to keep keep with it though. I mean, let's look at oh shoot oh no um, Fetra's brother's oh, name is yeah Alquin oh, okay I mean look at Alquin Alquin absolutely chose everything he did just for the love of one person look what Delani's doing Delani's destiny was to stay up in the mountains as a lord you know but love made him choose differently. No, and, I, and I think that's another thing. I think these people are very drawn by Eloa's preaching of love as you wilt. And they make choices based on based on that for good and for ill. Yeah, I can see that. I see that that's a good point. Um, and a lot of their choices... I mean, some of their choices drove me nuts, but a lot of their choices are to put themselves in harm's way for love of each other or love of their homeland. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I definitely see that they make a lot of choices and those choices are based on love. Um, do you think that... Phaedra makes these choices because this is who she is, or do you think she's influenced by the mark, the Kushiel's dart? Um, I think she makes different choices because of who she is than normal people would. Um, Kushiel is um, his job in heaven before he went to follow Eloa was as the keeper of God's justice. So in a certain way, Kushiel, Kushiel's Chosen and the Kushiel Scions really feel the need to bring justice. And you could say that Fedra is partially driven by that. She doesn't have to be, but, you know, Kushiel guides her to his purpose in that way. So, so I think that's a mixed bag. Yeah, I had a really hard time, like thinking about that one because Phaedra being who she is I mean I think a lot of her would be drawn to this anyway she she would be drawn to protect her homeland she would be drawn to try and protect the people that she loves but I think without the Kushiel's dart she might not have had that opportunity Um, and I think it really does kind of influence where her journey begins and where it goes. Because it, that mark is so rare, I don't think Delaney would have necessarily taken notice of just another courtesan to even, you know, mentor her the way that he did. I mean, sure, he says at the very beginning of the book when he goes to see her before he really, really sees her, you know, I'm only... I'm only tutoring one at a time. Right. Now, he expected Alquin to be his in. And then he sees Fedra and he's like, never mind. I've got this. So, no, absolutely. Her mark opens doors. Or really, though, had it never been 
figured out what that mark was, it would have closed a bunch of doors. She would have been unfit to serve Nama based on a red mode in her eye. Because she was unlucky. Because she was unlucky because it's not the extreme version of beauty that the courtesans and Nama are supposed to have. You know, but once they figured out what it was, they're like, oh, oh, this is special. (laughs) That's special. And I should have charged way more for her. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was really funny. Oh, I know. He was like, how much? (laughs) Sure. Write it up. And she was like, damn it. I should have asked for more. When people don't question, you know, you've asked for too low a price. You've asked for too little. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Always bid up, people. Um... (laughs) That's the real lesson of these books. Always bid up. You know, life advice and book talk. That's what we're about. <laughs> All right, let's go back to um, relationships because we talked about Phaedra's choice. Um, and she has two very different relationships. Uh, she has a relationship with Jocelyn and she has a relationship with Hyacinth. And spoiler alert, <laughs> they both love her, obviously. And she has to make a choice between them. Uh, what did you think about these two relationships? Did she make, the, did she make the right choice? Uh, clearly, <laughs> Tara says no. Um, well, she doesn't make a choice. Hyacinth makes the choice. Her choice would have been to be on the island and forsake both of them. Yeah, you don't really know. Yeah, I was going to say. Who she would have chosen in the end. Hyacinth didn't go to the island, would she really equal. have chosen him? I don't. Yeah. I feel like she would have chosen Jocelyn either way. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a, obviously, Team Hyacinth, forever. Um, they both sacrificed a lot for her. They both love her. Um, it's very Peter Gale. It really is. Um, it's. You know, Jocelyn's just Alan. too perfect. And also, and also, I just, she chooses to love him, right? She does. And I love that. I love the message. I've already talked about that. But I don't think he's the right fit. I mean, he's so beautiful. They're always talking about how pretty he is and how, like, honorable he is. But at the same time, you know, he's not, he can't give her, he can't give her everything she needs and and what she needs scares him and hyacinth it wouldn't have been that way i love hyacinth i i I I, love there could have been i yeah hyacinth doesn't get who she is either i mean she clearly says it in the book she says hyacinth doesn't understand me he doesn't understand what i do what i need he wants to understand but he's not scared of it but that's because he hasn't been around it like Jocelyn has. Just not having been around it isn't the same thing as... Like, Jocelyn's opposed to what she is. By the end of this book, he's still opposed to what she is. At the core of her being, he doesn't get it. He doesn't like it. It disgusts him. Hyacinth, it doesn't disgust him. But he, he hasn't been around it. But he do- he's not stupid either. He's from Knight's Doorstep. He's not some guarded, castly he's lordling. He's not stupid, but I don't know if he would have been able to give what she would have wanted. 
I don't know if he she, he would have been able to give it, but like he said, they were supposed to be the prince of travelers and the queen of courtesans together. I don't think he wanted to take it away. You know, if she needs to go out there and do her thing, she goes out there and does her thing as long as she comes home to him. I don't think, I don't think it would have been a black and white situation for them. No, I always saw him as the, the best friend. <laughs> it's like he makes a really good lifelong best friend. <laughs> team Hyacinth, Team Gale. The the blonde warrior people can go in a corner and and talk about how hard their lot in lives were. <laughs> P- P- yeah, I don't know. I just Jocelyn feel like. Check. As different as their opinions are and how they view the world, and it may be because they've been through so much together, but I really do like Fedra and, and Jocelyn together. And you don't think it's going to be hard for her? I know it would. To have, to have him, like, she chooses him, she loves him, these are all facts, but he hates what she, like, literally hates it. No. I think that would be very difficult to live with. I think he hates what she does, not who she is. But what she does is who she is. That is the thing about being Kushiel's dart. Who, what she does is who she is to a certain extent. To a certain extent, but not completely. I mean, there are many sides of Fedra, and what I think I do like about the relationship between Jocelyn and Fedra is that they see each other completely. Mm-hmm. And I think Hyacinth always sees everything as this is what we should be one day. One day we will be the Prince of Travelers and the Queen of Courtesans. And he sees everything as moving towards this ideal. But I think Jocelyn actually sees Fedra. He sees her entirely. He sees what she's done. He sees what she can do. He sees things he doesn't like, and he loves her anyway. And he get, he has a full picture of her. And I think if you're going to choose somebody to love you got to make sure that you see all of that. You can't just see the parts that are convenient to you or that fit your picture. I don't, I mean, I, this is an agree to disagree moment. I just don't (laughs) agree with that. I I don't agree that Jocelyn has a better picture than Hyacinth just because you, I don't think you should be um, criticized for having dreams, for seeing a future with someone. Oh, I don't think it's something to criticize. I just think that, that's kind of Hyacinth's view, given the incomplete picture, because he's never seen Fedra as her professional courtesan slash spy he, self. He does, though. On their trip, she gives her, him, herself to various lords for passages. He does see her. I don't... And what she does. I don't think... In Alba and before in Tirdan. I don't think he really saw though jocelyn was there for like the serious stuff you know um right but being being stuck with a hot poker isn't (laughs) what she is that that well no but it's still horrifying and like that was part of a job like how would hyacinth feel about that even though it was something that she was contracted to do i mean like dulani not great (laughs) <laughs> but deal with it um <laughs> maybe we should move on from this <laughs> but but yeah no i hear you i just don't agree with you <laughs> that's fine, fine. 
Um, so I told somebody that we were going to discuss this book, and they're like, so you're going to spend a lot of time discussing sex and different kinds of sex. And uh, we only just hit it with a hot poker. So good for us, guys. <laughs> I mean, listen, it, is there a lot of sex in this book? Absolutely. Is it extremely graphic? No. No. I've read way more graphic sex scenes than this. There was more. There was a more graphic sex scene in The Miniaturist, for God's sake. <laughs> That's um, so true. <laughs> I'm about that, yeah. Um, it was you know, more graphic. Yeah, way more graphic. Um, do, do what some of the things that happen in her sex scenes, like some of the pain, is that somewhat unique? Sure. Have I read more interesting or more graphic versions of even that? Yes. So, yes, the first 300 pages are nonstop. I mean, she's a courtesan, but usually it's like, oh, this happened and then this happened and then I was tied up and then we copulated and I fell asleep. Like, <laughs> just, um, but I think the sex is actually the least interesting part of this book. I think the political intri- intrigue and the survival of these characters and the world building, which is what makes this an epic fantasy series, it is is much more interesting than the sex she's happening happening uh, happen, blah, 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 blah. um oh, is the, than the sex she is having um and i mean and i think that's the most amazing part of this book because easily that could be all we talked about but but that's how good this book is and aside from the fact that we just got a really interesting peek into what you're reading when you're not reading for the eclectic I readers. Know. Oh, it's not all the time. Uh-huh. Oh, I let's don't look know. at Miss of Avalon, for instance. Miss of Avalon has some raunchy sex scenes. Yeah, but I, I was actually going to agree with you um, after I teased you. Um, <laughs> no, I do. I think that um, when you see a book that, like this one, that has like erotic and sensual and stuff like that on the cover, you're like, oh, So this is a book about sex with some plot thrown in, but that's not what this is. Like there's clearly a lot of like politics and there's so much. I mean, literally the character list is six pages long. I counted. So um, with six pages worth of characters, there's so much to set up before the final battle. And it's just so, I keep saying it, but it's such a rich world. There's so much happening. It's, I mean, I just yeah. think it's so well done. And, and those first 300 pages, even though it's like basically nothing but sex. It's, it's sex really and build up, at, sex and build up. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's sex and build up. But it's, <laughs> as sex often is. Um, but it's, <laughs> you know, it, it really does, as she's having sex, you learn about the political web that she's going to be thrown well, into. That shows how much of a spy is she is. Like, this is how she gets her information. So yeah. it was relevant, you know? It wasn't like, oh, and then I did this job, and then I did this job. It's like, I did this job because I got this specific piece of information that Delaney needed. Mm-hmm. So. Because she a badass. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she's a, either a really good courtesan or a really good spy. So, I was going to say both. Not, not mutually exclusive. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't mean to imply that they were mutually exclusive because clearly they're not. Yep. Um, 
I know, Tara, that you talked a lot about how fascinated you were with the alternate history and the alternate religion. Oh, Do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about how fascinated you were? How <laughs> fascinated? Uh, it's so hard because um, in the later books, y- you get a better idea of what is, of exactly what's happening. There's so much plot and political buildup that she couldn't spend, I think, as much time as she probably wanted to on just the religious aspect. But I just think it's so interesting to see, like, this is what happens to, this is, like, the Jewish people. Like, there are no Christians, really. I thought the Yeshuaites yeah, were supposed to be the Christians. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. No, it's, the Yeshuaites are Jews who believe the Messiah came. Oh. So they're not Christians. There's no, like, Roman church never happens, right? Oh, no, I didn't think no. it was Roman church, but I so, thought they so, were meant to be, like, the alternate version of the christians right so in the in the timeline the yeshuaites are jews who believe that yeshua who is their this version of jesus yeshua is the messiah so all the jews do follow yeshua and still believe in the one true god um and they they say one true god like they they don't it's not as uh it's somewhat it, it deviates from what christianity looks like it still looks like more of a jewish true religion in a way um and then there's eloa is birthed and that's more like in a way eloa is more like jesus because it is the new religion um and the instead of an evolving from an old religion um and eloa happens and all of the angels come down and they are his companions and they do all these crazy things and then there's all of the pagans and just like what I love about it is how everybody accepts that gods are real and all the gods are real. It's just some gods are older, some gods are more powerful, some gods are more powerful in certain places. Um, I just think it's a really interesting alternate history that I really can't get too much into <laughs> without spoiling things. So it's really good though. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a really interesting world. I mean, were you guys as fan- as uh as interested in it as I was? Um, I definitely was. I thought it was really really cool like when they started talking about like, you know, Terdange and all these names like they were clearly French names and I was like, is this supposed to be France? And I had to, like, flip back and forth to the map a few times during the, like, early pages before I was like, yeah, I really think this is supposed to be France. I mean, it looks exactly (laughs) like France. The names are all French. And they're talking about, you know, Yeshua and Magdalene and these people that, you know. It sounds right. Yeah, these people that are very, very much from our history and our, like, belief of the world. But, uh, you know, I was like, they're using these really, really strange names, but this has got to be alternate France, right? Yeah, I'm really ashamed to say I did not realize that Alba was England. And I should have. Being like an Aetherian legend, like, lover, that should have been obvious to me. And I, I did not realize it until I looked it up. And I feel really, really bad about that. Well, I mean... Yeah, that one, <laughs> that one kind of... the. I was confused about that for a minute, but the the picks, they kept talking about the yeah. picks, and that kind of tipped me off on that one. Um, 
I'm sorry, I think I cut you off, Susan. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was agreeing. I mean, it's a lot more subtler. And sometimes if you're in an alternate fantasy, like epic fantasy, you don't really think about how it pertains to our world. So right. sometimes it's just hard to make that connection because you're not thinking, oh, these are these parallels that I should right. be making the comparison with. So, I, I, Is it bad that I was like, oh, of course the French are the angel people. Yeah. <laughs> The pretty, pretty like, people. Of course. <laughs> In those... Sorry. I was going to say, the only people who can appreciate love right. and sex and beauty. In its full complexity. Yep. It, it kind of makes sense, though. Night's doorstep is Moulin Rouge. Yeah, exactly. And you've got all the things. <laughs> and yeah, the city of Eloa. And it's, it's obviously Paris. And yeah, there's all these obvious comparisons. You do go to Italy in the next book. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Now I'm even more intrigued. Spoiler alert, you go to Italy, which is cool. They're a cool area. Uh, um, I'm really excited yeah. for that now. The The next book is good. The third book is amazing. Okay. Just good. throwing that. All right. All right. I'm good. I'm stopping. <laughs> okay. I, I only have one question about the next two books, and it is very easily answered spoiler free all right is it as hard to get through the beginning of those books as it is this book not even remotely Woo-hoo! you jump yeah, you jump like, right yay! into it she okay. does it she doesn't waste any of that time um the hardest intro is probably of the second book and it's like an eighth as bad and it's just because the characters are a little stressed about, I mean, oh, you know, you know, uh, Melisande sends the cloak. Right. Um, and she has to make a decision. And Well, she uh, made that decision. Oh, she does good. All right. I can't remember where it ends. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, it, Joc- ends, it ends with her being like, I got to do this. Yeah. And yeah. Josh, Jocelyn being like, oh, crap. Okay. Yeah, now, I have spoiler, yeah, now I have Jocelyn to go with you. Jocelyn does not like it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they're interpersonal dynamic in the beginning of the book is a little bit like, oh, just get over it. Um, but uh, but it's really much easier. It jumps right into the action. All right. Good. Well, That's good to hear. That makes me that makes me feel better. I'm glad I could do that for you. I'm glad okay. I could be that person. <laughs> You're always that person. Come Aww. on. <laughs> a lot of love here. We're loving as we were. <laughs> Um, so, did you guys like the book? Well, I read all three. (laughs) So, I think yes. (laughs) Uh, I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I did like it. Would you read the other two in the series? I would. Did you like it enough? I would, because it really picked up at the end. Um, and now, like, I really need to know if, you know, she catches Melisande and see what happens. She better catch Melisande. Oh, no, I hope so. Look, I mean, I, I just think... Wah-ha. I love <laughs> Melisande. I think she's an incredible... Like, she is the Maleficent of... I know, of, so good. like, villains. She's just... She's scary, but attractive, and you just want to, like, stare at her, but you the also des- want to put her in a cage. Um, <laughs> the description of her eyes... Uh, that that blue mm-hmm. of like tw- of like darkening twilight. I'm like Jesus, guys. Sapphires at night. Sapphires. I'm like stop. Uh, so gorgeous. And you know I love me a sapphire. 
Mm. But, <laughs> like, at the same time, I'm like, but I bet there are so many other cool villains in this world, and mm-hmm. there are so many other amazing places to go. Well, we didn't even talk about the main male villain. Oh, let's the, talk oh, about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. We, we haven't spent any time talking actually about the Scaldi invasion. Yeah. We and have not, actually. <laughs> like which is a really, really and huge <laughs> part of the book. I told you I was going to leave stuff out. <laughs> That's okay. We can continue um, the discussion. Valder, Bal- uh, oh gosh, how do you say his name? Um, Valdemar Selig. Yes. Valdemar Selig, and how like he tries to unify what's essentially Germany mm-hmm. and all the Germanic tribes, and you know he's this intelligent barbarian, and hit her betrayal of him, and how that all goes down. And I thought that was oh man, <gasps> yes, I think that like, was my favorite part in the book. I mean, I don't know if it was my favorite, but I really liked the relationship between Fedra and uh, Valdemar Selig because he definitely, like, he was aware that, you know, she was a threat, but I don't think he realized how much of a threat until she was, like, gone, gone <laughs> out the door. Yep. And I think that was kind of, I don't know, I think that was just such a great demonstration of why she's such a great spy. Because she's there in the bad guy's bedroom daily collecting information, plotting her escape, and he's like, so you're going to teach me how to have sex well, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. You see this little girl who is a courtesan who's known for the pleasure arts and you, you're this giant barbarian, and you're like, eh, yeah, okay, so my, the person I'm working with says she's the threat, but whatever. I've got this. How's she going to do anything? And that's, you know, actually the scene where she gets onto those rafters and pulls herself into the room and listens to their council meeting and then comes back with Jocelyn, that is one of the strongest scenes for me. Like, how that's written and how she gets up there and, you know, her bravery really in that scene. Uh, For some reason, that's extremely tactile and scene for me in my memory. I just really loved it. I I loved it, too. I think it it says a lot about her uh, way of survival versus Jocelyn. I mean, she's like, Jocelyn's like, okay, we're going to sit here and make a plan of escape and try and figure out how we're going to battle our way out of here. Can and I stick a dagger in it? Right. <laughs> and she's like, will you st- shut up with your plans and help me move these barrels? Because I got to get up there. <laughs> no, absolutely true. She's like, all right, tumbling practice. Let's go. Time to, <laughs> time to prove what I still know. Oh, man. I-, I will say this about the writing, that sometimes it did make me laugh. Because if there was one more reference to her old tumbling master, I was oh going like, to get all out of my seat. No, there's a lot, especially, this stops in later books, by the way, but in the first book especially, there's so much, like, repetition in language. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the, um, the phrase, had I thought to think this, I would have thought wrong. 
because blank happened. And I'm like, if you think one more thing that is wrong or thought you might have thought one more thing that is wrong, I'm going to punch this book in the face. <laughs> like, you, uh, need to, you need to stop saying that to explain yeah. what's going on. Yeah. I, uh, but the, I think but that ends. I think that's one of the reasons why I just kind of liked it because there's a lot of that repetition and a lot of that mm-hmm. language you mentioned. But this is a this so, is a first novel. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's why, you know, it's just hard for me to get through a little more. Yeah. Every yeah. time I got really annoyed by that, I had to remember, this is this person's debut novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Freaking impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what got me through, especially the beginning when she describes her eye. I'm sorry, I'm never going to read that and not snicker at least a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. My eyes, they were brown. Save the left yeah. one. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, we get it. You got a red speck in your yep. eye. Um, anyway, but as much as we love it, guys, we got to move on to another book next month. Yes. Yes. So next time on Eclectic Readers, we will be talking about The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. That's a big book right now. A lot of people I know have been reading it, and it's supposed to be um, a thriller, much of the way of Gone Girl. So I'm looking forward to this one. That'll be exciting. Yeah. It, we're not normally this on trend, too. No, no. we're not. <laughs> actually be reading something bef- while everyone is talking about it, not before people are talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it only happens like once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it got yeah. released early this year. So it's still mm-hmm. pretty new. Yeah. So, yeah, and... Um, one of our friends actually was just telling me about this a couple months ago and being like, you have to read this. You're going to love this. So um, our friend Natalie was saying that. So. Oh, nice. It's good to yeah. get that oh, recommendation. Cool. That's Reddit? Yeah. So um, definitely uh, looking forward to it. Great. That's great. Cool. Um, so you can, if you want to find out more about the books we talked about, um, or Kushiel's Dart, or the book we're going to read, just go to our show notes. We'll have links pretty much to Amazon, so you can, you know, buy it, read it. <laughs> um, Kindle it. Yeah, Kindle it, ebook read it, and stick it on your Goodreads to-read list. Um, and that can be found on sunriserbot.net slash eclecticreaders slash five. And then where can we find you guys? Well, you can look for me on Goodreads at uh, goodreads.com slash JMT Rivera, or just look for me off of our Goodreads page, the Eclectic Readers page. How about you, Tara? Where can we find you? Best way to reach me is via Twitter at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N, or you can find me by going to our Goodreads page. I'm pretty active on that as well. Yeah. I forgot about my Twitter. Yeah, I got a Twitter too. So <laughs> Twitter me at Dr. Jeanette. <laughs> yep. What about you, Susan? Uh, well, you can find me on Google Plus because I am active there. Um, you and the five other people. Yes, but it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it. Um, and you can find me on Goodreads uh, at Sue Lyons or through Eclectic Readers Book Club. Or you can find me on Twitter, which is at Rudy Kaicho, which is spelled R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U. Um, we love feedback. We love chatting about books. We love just having a continued discussion forever and ever. Amen. So um, hit us <laughs> up. And if you could, please support us. If you could go to our Patreon page, which is sunriserobot.net slash support. Um, you know, this is... 
you know, kind of takes a little bit of money to help keep us running and keep the lights on. So if you can please support us, that'll be wonderful. And special thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Longa for giving us that support. Um, and if you could subscribe to your favorite podcatcher so you can, not, so you can um, never miss an episode, that'll be great. And um, that way you're always kept current, which is good because, you know, we're always talking about books, 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 books. Um, and lastly, if you can rate us and review us on iTunes, that'll be fantastic. Um, get us on that, what is it, Noteworthy page. I don't know. I haven't been on Noteworthy yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, I haven't been on iTunes in like forever. <laughs> um, but if you could do that, that'll be fabulous. That way we can connect with other bookworms like us. So there's that. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and shelve it till next month, guys. Sounds good. All right. All right. See you then. Bye. 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 Bye.